0: Welcome back to Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV and WFUV.org. Emmanuel Barbari with you. Pleased to have Professor Monica McDermott back on the show. Also an election night polling analyst at NBC News. Hatter in the early stages of the pandemic to discuss the political uncertainty that it caused and how it would continue to wreak havoc on election outcomes and the election system in our country as a whole. We are less than two weeks away from Election Day, November 3rd, as we speak, 10 days out. And after some of the debacles in primaries this past spring with extended vote counts, a tidal wave of mail-in ballots, There are a lot of questions surrounding how that will go on a larger scale. You've heard a lot of rhetoric from the president of the United States about potential voter fraud upcoming in this November election. And as we all know, public confidence in election outcomes is a key pillar of American democracy and something that keeps this country running. It's almost a safety valve that we run towards every four years, every two years in the case of House and Senate elections. Where we're able to make our voices heard, and having faith in that outcome is such a critical point in our democracy. Concessions are such an important part of the entire process. So I'm really excited to have Professor McDermott back on because no one really knows the ins and outs better around the Fordham community than Monica McDermott. She tracks this data every year. She works very closely with with polling agencies and And studies exit poll data after presidential elections. So she knows where this race currently stands. She knows where it could be heading. And she also knows the potential doomsday scenarios that are worrying so many people throughout the country. Of course, if we have some sort of record-setting landslide on election night. Or a convincing victory from either President Trump or former Vice President Joe Biden it will be a moot point and we'll be able to project a winner and move on as this country sets a new trajectory. But if it's a razor-thin margin, which many are projecting it ultimately could be, if the polls misfire by a couple of points and, and President Trump and Joe Biden are running neck and neck in some of the key Midwestern states that decided the 2016 outcome, there could be a lot of challenges based on the flood of mail in ballots at a record setting pace we've never seen before. In amidst the coronavirus pandemic, not everyone all too comfortable going to their polling place and and many states, many key swing states have expanded their absentee voting methods. As of today, as we speak, around fifty million people recorded have cast ballots nationwide. That's already surpassing the 2016 totals of early vote is before election day even occurs where a mass amount of the votes are cast and already looking like an election that will far surpass 2016 in terms of total turnout so what votes count what votes don't count in certain states What are some of the intricacies that could get a ballot tossed? What are some of the things that could be challenged in post-election litigation? And if there are challenges and effective challenges at that to either a Biden win, a Trump loss, a Trump win, a Biden loss, what will that result in? Because ultimately it comes down to electors in the Electoral College casting votes that go alongside the state's popular vote and reflect that popular vote. Could there be what they call challenging sets of electors that throw the entire election in chaos, that that ultimately leave the election to Congress to decide who is the next president of the United States and not the American people. A lot of potentially frightening, potentially uncertain outcomes that could come about from a razor-thin margin. So that's what we're looking at on this week's episode of Fordham Conversations as we near Election Day, November 3rd. It's my pleasure to welcome Once again on the show, Professor Monica McDermott. Thanks for joining the show.
1: Oh, you're welcome. It's glad to be here.
0: So hard to believe a little less than a month out from November 3rd. How do you assess the state of the presidential race right now?
1: Well, um, at this point, it looks like Biden still has a relatively solid lead um, and a small lead in most battleground states. So he's looking pretty good. But of course, We've had this new wrench thrown into the whole thing because of uh, Trump's coronavirus positive results. And so no one knows exactly what's going to happen with that, whether it will get some sympathy for him and that will tighten the race or exactly what's going to happen. So that's sort of, that's the big unknown right
0: now. How difficult has this race been to pull with the uncertainty of who will turn out amidst the pandemic?
1: Well, I think that's something pollsters are trying to deal with, and um, I think that they're correctly modeling their turnout models this year around accounting for the dramatic increase in mail-in and absentee, excuse me, absentee ballots. And they're used to doing polling pre-election in all-mail ballot states like Washington and Oregon. So this is sort of something that they're used to working into their models.
0: You mentioned Joe Biden has maintained a pretty remarkably steady lead over President Trump since about the spring. Okay. Are there any historical examples of this you can point to? Is this one of the more steady races you've seen?
1: This is one of the more steady races. Usually there's usually the lead goes back and forth, even um, in I mean, I'm trying to think of a race where it was relatively even Mike Dukakis in 1988 managed to get a lead going somewhere in there, even though he lost in a landslide at the end. So, yeah, it's normally you see ups and downs, and the conventions usually give each candidate a bounce, which they did not do this year. It's been a very strange, very static sort of thing.
0: Speaking of events that can have an impact on a race, debates have varying impacts as well. Given how off the rails it kind of got, how do you think it changed the complexion of what we're looking at?
1: Well, here's my take on that, which is that pretty much Trump is Trump and we all know Trump is Trump and at this point we know what to expect from him and so i i went into it saying that i didn't think he could do anything to change voters minds about him positively or negatively because no matter what he said it just bounces off of him like teflon because everything does and so i really thought and and in the debates that Biden had more to lose if he ended up stumbling or looking bad because Trump was just going to be Trump and no changes were going to happen. So I think that it actually probably didn't make any changes. I mean, Trump's behavior was seen by focus group attendees as irrational and um, you know, domineering and horrible and all of these adjectives, but it didn't necessarily change their votes at all. So because they would just say, exactly as I said a minute ago, Trump is Trump, and that's, that's the way he behaves, and that's what we know and expect. So why would it change votes at this point?
0: How different has the preparation for you been this year, knowing there likely won't be a definitive outcome on election night? How does that change everything?
1: Well, it's pretty crazy. I'll still be working election night for CBS News, and we'll still be counting and analyzing the exit poll results, which are going to account for the mail in and absentee ballots as well. Um, But you're not, it's going to be a very different night because we're not going to, we have no expectation that we'll be able to declare a winner on election night, which is what we're usually used to. You know, we, we declare a winner and then we get to wrap up and go home. And in this, this situation that's probably not going to happen so who knows when the coverage is going to end on election night and so and we don't know how long after the votes will still be counted but um, my job on election night will just be a long one I, I imagine. I
0: want to get into some of those implications because three midwestern states likely to determine the outcome Pennsylvania Michigan Wisconsin they have laws in place that don't allow mail-in vote processing until election day which is part of that hold up and potential uncertainty how critical in your mind is it that legislation is passed that allows them to process it at least a few days, maybe a couple of weeks earlier to create some of that certainty?
1: Well, first of all, I don't see it likely that such legislation is going to pass despite attempts to make it pass. But I think it would certainly help the situation. It would help calm things down because at this point, what we all know is going to happen is that if Trump does take a lead on election night, he Probably will declare himself the victor, and then we know that that we know that Democrats are voting primarily by mail-in and absentee ballots, and so that count is going to take longer. And Trump has already set us all up with this message of those are going to be fraudulent votes, and they shouldn't be counted, and it's only going to be the Democrats stealing the election away from him with these later counts. And so that's that's sort of the worst-case scenario, and I think that. Anything that contributes to the count taking longer is contributing to that scenario actually coming true. And I think that's a worst case scenario for us.
0: So you mentioned the consistent partisan gap in voting by mail. Republicans tend to favor voting in person, Democrats, almost two thirds, plan to vote by mail. Mm -hmm. This could lead to that substantial early lead for President Trump that eventually dwindles. And given that Americans are used to having some sense of certainty that night, What do you think needs to change and and what can be done maybe by networks, maybe by uh, precincts reporting that can help and kind of lower the temperature?
1: Well, I think that public officials and the news media have a responsibility to um, teach people not to expect a winner on election night, to teach them that this is a very unusual election in the midst of coronavirus and that we have to all take that into account. I have seen promising poll numbers, though, that show that most Americans don't expect a winner on election night. So I think the message is getting out there. I think the numbers were somewhere in the upper 60%, 60%. and so I think that the message is getting out there. Whether people accept it, though, or not, that's going to be a different matter. So, But the expectation at this point, I don't think Americans have the expectation of a winner on November 3rd.
0: Talking about voting rights specifically in the middle of COVID-19, in a state like Texas, we've seen satellite offices reduced to one per county. And other states, there are there are frequent attacks, not necessarily on, on mail-in ballots, but the intricacies of it and what counts and what doesn't count. How much does that system tangibly inhibit our own ability to increase turnout in this country?
1: It Well, it really inhibits, especially for Democrats, the ability to do turnout, because far more mail-in ballots and absentee ballots get um, disqualified than in-person ballots. So the only way to make sure that your vote is counted is to actually show up and vote on election day. And in the midst of COVID-19, that's obviously not going to happen. And Democrats are less likely to do that. So I think that problem is that, while Democrats are increasing turnout amongst their supporters, they're still those votes might not be counted to the same extent that they should be counted or would be counted if the voters had shown up on election day.
0: So if you're a voter and you want to vote by mail and you maybe are worried about showing up in person, what steps do you think voters should be taking right now to ensure that their mail-in ballot is counted?
1: Well, a lot of states have tracking systems, online tracking systems, where you can track your mail-in ballot and or your absentee ballot and see. what stage it is in the process and see whether or not it's been counted or disqualified or anything like that now new york has a system like that although i've heard from friends that it doesn't necessarily work that well so i've never personally used it but i know states like michigan have this and other states do as well so i think any responsible absentee male voter should keep track of their ballot and make sure that it's counted although by the time they find out it's not it's probably too late Although a lot of states also allow you then to go in in person and cast a provisional ballot, which will only be counted if for some reason your absentee ballot wasn't counted.
0: There's been the issue raised in in Pennsylvania of the the double envelope, which is called the naked ballot, quote unquote. How likely in your mind could that lead to some sort of post-election litigation if a lot of those end up getting thrown out?
1: Oh, it will lead to litigation. I mean, we're going to have lawsuits on both sides. There's no doubt. There's going to be no shortage of litigation after this election. So, yes, I think the um, the whole process, even here in New York, the whole process of absentee voting is very confusing. I mean, you do have to stuff one, ballot or one envelope into another envelope, and you have to make sure they fit, and you have to make sure it's signed in the right place, and it's just... It's a nightmare, and that's even for me, and I'm a political science professor, so one would think that they would make it a little bit easier for people. So I'm not, I'm expecting that there are going to be a lot of ballots that aren't going to be counted. I think there will be a lot that are disqualified.
0: So we normally tend to expect the worst and we think of the doomsday scenarios, but what's an outcome on election night states-wise, that you think would avoid a doomsday scenario? And maybe we're just not seeing something, and it wraps up, it's tidy, and we know the outcome on November 3rd.
1: Well, I think there are two possibilities. One is that Trump gets a landslide, and there's no way by the evidence that's out there that Biden can catch up with the remaining vote that's out there. Um, That seems highly unlikely, given the polling right now. The other scenario is that Biden actually takes a lead on election night. And then at that point, we know it's basically over for Trump because we know all of the remaining ballots are predominantly Democratic ballots. So I think either of those two possibilities would help it clear it up on election night. But even if either one of those happens, there are going to be lawsuits and there are going to be challenges and it's, it's going to get ugly no matter what happens.
0: What are some ways, we touched on it briefly before, media outlets can Can prepare and cover this effectively, and and report results in such a way to not mislead the public uh, on election night into thinking that a certain percentage or a certain percentage of the vote represents the broader picture of what's going on.
1: Yeah, I think they have a responsibility to talk about the percentage of vote in a given state that actually is going to be absentee vote. So, you know, so that they can put in context what they the exit polls are showing as in-person voting, which are the tallies that you're going to receive on election night, versus in absentee voting, which are the tallies you're going to see coming in later. And to be able to put that in context and to say, for example, we know that 60% of the balloting in Pennsylvania or some such number is going to be counted after election day. So this only represents 40% of the state's vote. So by any this does not by any means represent how the state is going to end up so just to be able to give voters a sense of wow okay this isn't just not decided at this point but it's really not decided at this point
0: so we're in this turbulent picture where mail in voting will definitely be off the charts compared with previous years and we have a president who's been on the record numerous times discrediting that validity of the whole process and i've seen several good pieces on potential nightmare scenarios that we were referencing before and with the inevitable litigation over vote by mail tallies, there could be competing sets of electors or a state not certifying its results in time for the electoral college to meet. Is that going too far or do you, do you think this could be headed for a federal court type of, uh, type of outcome?
1: I would be surprised if it didn't end up in a federal courts type of outcome. I really, I think, and I think we should all be prepared for that. I think, We're best at this point if we just set our expectations that it's going to get very unpleasant in some of the battleground states and you're going to have competing sets of electors being chosen, possibly one set by governors, the governors of states that have Democratic governors and by the legislatures in those same states that have Republican controlled legislatures. And then it goes up to Congress, and of course we have a divided Congress, so it just, it, yeah, I think we should prepare ourselves for that scenario, but no one knows exactly at what point that breaks down because there's no ultimate authority on this except maybe the Supreme Court, and we don't know if they even want to meddle in it at this point.
0: So what you described, that process gets extremely confusing. You could have a governor sending a set of electors, a legislature sending an opposite set of electors to to discredit the potential popular vote outcome in a certain state. What would that look like if there were competing sets of electors? At, at what point would, they, would Congress step in and completely override the voice of the people?
1: So what happens is if you have competing sets of electors sent, Um, then they both do their own count on the electoral vote date, which is December 14th. That's when they meet and vote. And then at that point, if there are competing votes, then it does go to Congress, go straight to Congress, the sitting Congress at that point to make the decision. So it would be our current Republican Senate and Democratic House. It goes to them to determine which set of electors they seat. And then they have to make the decision, do they... Seat the set of electors that reflect the governor's certified popular vote, which is going to be in the Democrats' favor, or do they seat the electors from the Republican state legislature, which is going to be in Trump's favor? So then it becomes just an all-out partisan battle.
0: How much uh, civil unrest in your mind could that cause? If if, if the people, I, I feel like we're in a turbulent time where 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 people want their voices to be heard in this election, and that's the way they're able to to come out and kind of exert that energy once every two or four years. If Congress was to step in, how, how problematic could that be for the country?
1: I think you'll see a lot of protesting. I do think you will. Um, I think civil unrest is a possibility. I'd like to think that we wouldn't go to armed conflict or anything that, that was that extreme. Although there's already talk of that happening on election day with you know Trump's campaign is encouraging supporters to go to the polls and sort of police the polls and stop voters and and sort of ask for their documentation and do this while armed and so to sort of intimidate voters in heavily democratic areas and so you've already got potential that that could then counter protesters could show up and that could result in some armed combat in some areas and then the national guard stepping in so there are all kinds of nightmare scenarios just on election day alone. But then as it stretches on, I think that, that the it's feelings just start to boil over. And I think that that is going to be, yeah, I think on both sides, it's going to get very, very
0: heated. So one area that could end up being a deciding factor is the Supreme Court. And uh, President Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Where do you see that nomination heading? Do you think it's possible that there could be a confirmation before election day, or do you think that's too risky of a play, given that there are a lot of Senate races up for grabs?
1: I think the Republicans, if they really want to get it through before election day, I think they have a clear path to do it, or at least they did before the coronavirus hit all of these key senators. So now you've got a situation in which voting in person on the floor of the Senate um, becomes very dangerous and very ugly, and the Republicans have already um, had, had already said no to the idea of doing distance voting, which is what the House Democrats wanted to switch over to. So at this point, they might have hamstrung themselves in terms of being able to get her through before election day, but they'll be able to get her through in the lame duck session. I, I, don't, see, I don't see any way for that not to happen.
0: This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You just heard from Professor Monica McDermott. Now we transition to a student's perspective on the upcoming general election. Chris Baccia is part of the Fordham College at Rose Hill class of 2021. He'll also contribute to WFUV News' election night coverage. How are students consuming the load of information? What are their biggest fears and concerns about the upcoming election and those potential doomsday scenarios we discussed with McDermott. Here's Chris. (laughs) We welcome in Chris Baccia. Chris, thanks for being with us. Yeah,
2: no problem. Thanks for having me. So Chris,
0: as we speak less than two weeks until election day, November 3rd, what are your biggest concerns as a student at Fordham entering this election day and potentially election process?
2: Well, um, you know, I... I... (laughs) I've been following politics for a long time since I was in high school and uh, always took such an interest to it as, as a, you know, I, 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 I just love the policy, love learning about um, how th- there are two different ideologies in America and they, they see, they see things differently. They have different ideas about solutions, but I think we've completely lost that. We've, we've lost any normal political discourse and it's been just dominated by chaos and. You know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shy about about blaming that on one particular political figure, and that is the president. So I, I'm concerned about our democracy. I'm concerned about you know the state of American politics. I feel like um, this this shift that we've seen in the last five years in our politics, if if it's reconfirmed uh, by at the ballot box again, um, that'll be that'll be a disturbing that'll t- tell a disturbing story and I, that's probably what I hear the most when I talk to people um at schools is this, this can't be normal this can't be this can't be the way things are supposed to be I think
0: when you tune in to election night coverage on November 3rd you Chris baccio what what's your desired outcome there are there are several projections it could take several days to to learn the outcome of this election but in an ideal world, what happens on November third for you?
2: Well, for me, I think there's. I think first of all, I think people. I mean, you could already tell that people are people are going voting in mass and in in ways that we haven't seen. Um, so I I hope that the electorate makes a a decisive statement. I don't know that we'll have results, and and I definitely worry about about Americans' trust in the results, especially the losing side. But um, I, I, hope that, I hope that we get to see um, a democratic takeover of the federal government, which would mean that a Biden administration could, could work to really institute generational change um, in terms of federal law, whether the gun control is something big, climate change is something big, um, tax reform is something that I think a Biden administration would do. Um, You know, these are all things that are exciting um, because they're things that we've seen no action on.
0: Regardless of where someone stands on the political spectrum, I think a consensus is that Joe Biden has made a career working with both sides of the aisle. What is the biggest obstacle to a Biden administration accomplishing the, the tasks you just put forward?
2: can we get that done? Can we reach across the aisle? Is there a healthcare solution that that could bring both parties in? Obamacare was a moderate vision for healthcare. It didn't socialize health healthcare. It did in a small way, but it was it a was Republican model. It was Mitt Romney's and the Heritage Foundation. It was their invention. So I, I think, you know, whatever small steps, maybe there are large steps, but, you know, in theory, a Biden administration is going to get two big laws that they're gonna be able to do in two years if they have a united government. Um, You know, I I think that that they'll accommodate Republicans in that, I I don't know that Republicans will go with them on it, but I, I think there's an opportunity here.
0: Chris, I'll leave you on this. Even though we've seen record early turnout already as we're speaking right around or even above 50 million ballots cast throughout the country nationwide, On the way to record turnout, but still, the 18 to 24 year old turnout, those young college voters, we're still seeing almost record lows. As a Fordham student who interacts with your your fellow peers, why do you think that is? Why is there such a disengagement in the political process?
2: I've understood for a long time that it really, really matters, and you know, if if you don't think that it matters, you wouldn't be so inclined to go through the process of voting, especially as a college student, which means. Getting your absentee ballot, going through a process, um, you know, I, I, that that's a process that I consider an honor, and and that you know, I I would never uh, neglect, but I mean, some people do, and the only way I can explain it or understand it is just, either either it's disillusionment or it's it's, I, I don't know, it's, it, it it comes from maybe from a place of privilege of being able to say that. I don't need to vote; it doesn't matter, or I, I simply don't care. You know, if you're in a position in America where you don't care about the outcome of the presidential election, you are in a, in a privileged few who think that, and, and, and you know, you can continue to 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 live in that space, which is not a reality. Um, I, I don't know how long, you know, one day you may grow up and realize that that it does matter, but you know, those who don't. It is frustrating, and and I do think that this election you're going to see a shift in that. My friends are casting absentee ballots. I'm I'm getting them set up with, with their applications, and it is a process. And but I've been sending them all the links and all the information that they need to get registered, and then to get their ballot delivered to their college uh, mailbox, and then send it back in time. So I see that there's a lot more engagement in this cycle. A big thanks to Chris Baccia for providing
0: a student's perspective. To the upcoming election, him paired with Professor Monica McDermott, who we talked to earlier, definitely give us a sense of some of the unsettling potential outcomes that could be in play in a close election. If it's a convincing victory on either side for President Trump or Vice President Joe Biden, probably a better course for the country in terms of knowing who the definitive winner is, setting a course for the next four years. But if you're just focused on controlling the controllables, the one thing that is in your hands, if you're in the tri-state area or anywhere throughout America, you can cast a ballot. You can make your voice heard. You can head to WFUVnews.org. We have a tri-state voter resource guide where you get all the necessary links, info about absentee voting, mail-in voting, early in-person voting, and of course, as so many people do, Election Day, November 3rd voting, where you can... Head on out and cast your civic duty, your right to vote, and make your voice heard in this critical election, not only on the national scale, but in local elections. That means so much to you as well. Thanks so much again for listening to Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM, WFUV, and WFUV.org. If you missed any of today's interview or previous interviews, you can go to WFUV.org to find the full conversation. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, of am Emmanuel Barbari.